So my Twitter blew up today because I posted uh, an, an interesting tweet. Um, I was watching ESPN earlier today and they're having the, a discussion, you know, because of Muhammad Ali's death of who were some of the most game-changing athletes in the sports. And Kerry Champion decided that Steph Curry was more game-changing than Tiger Woods. And I posted something on, on Twitter about that and I got like 50 retweets and 50 likes, which for me is a lot. I know all of you big Twitter people probably laughing at that, but that's a, that's a lot to me. But um, we're here, Just Ruling Podcast. This is the first episode of something new that we're doing. We are bringing in uh, different sports media people and asking them questions about the industry and just kind of getting some of their thoughts on it as well. So in this first episode, we have Daniel Shirley of the Macon Telegraph. He's kind of our boss. Um, <laughs> yes, so, a little bit. Yeah. yeah um, and then, of course, my co-host here, we have Justin Baxley. It's good to be back. I'm glad you're back. Um, but guys, just before we get into everything, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, I think the game is changing from, from since I've watched the NBA, since I grew up back when I was, I mean, you guys are early twenties when I was in my early twenties, which is 20, about 20 years ago, 20, I'm 45 now. The game is different now than it was back then. I don't know that Steph Curry has changed that, but to say he has changed the game, changed his game more than Tiger Woods changed golf is is I think is off and I like Carrie a lot I think she's terrific at what she does uh but I, I think that's just getting caught up in the moment and I don't know if maybe which it's hard to believe maybe people are forgetting Tiger's greatness when he was when he was at his best just how good he was and um I and I love Steph Curry I love the way they play I love Golden State's offense I love the way they move the ball and move their people around but to say he's changed basketball more than Tiger Woods has changed golf, I think it's wrong. And I think if you went and asked any golfer and saw their bank account uh, pre-Tiger and their bank account post-Tiger, I think those guys would disagree with that as well. Justin, I know you're passionate about this. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way I look at it is Tiger Woods dominated a game but also turned on a lot of people to playing the game. That's right. Uh, he... One of the things I guess I equated to, he might be the most dominant athlete in a sport. Um, because if you look at some of the performances he's had, he, he ended tournaments on the second or third day. Fourth day didn't really even matter. He was up by so much. It was equivalent of, say, Michael Jordan's team being up by 70 or Michael averaging 30 or 40 a game in, in a finals, maybe more. So I guess the way I looked at it was that Tiger not only dominated a game, but he changed the way people look at it. Um people that never would have played the game if not for him or even watched it. Uh, You can still see that now. When Tiger Woods is on the billing for a tournament, the ratings go up. He is still a draw, not not as much as he was when he was in his 20s and early 30s, but he is still a draw. Um, I guess when I look at most impactful athletes, I, I think of the Muhammad Ali's, I think of Jackie Robinson, and I think of, of Tiger Woods. Yes. Those are probably the top three for me. Well, and it's like you said, Justin, too, is the African-American community back then, I mean, golf was a white sport. Yes, and, 100%. And it, it mostly still is, but the, the, he brought people to the game that didn't who didn't watch the game. Steph Curry's not bringing people to basketball who don't watch basketball. Now, basketball fans love him. They appreciate what he does, 
but there aren't just you know just common sports fans who might not watch the NBA who are saying, "Oh my God, I got to go watch the NBA to watch Steph Curry." That's the way it was with Tiger. There was a there was an entire segment of our of our culture of our country who didn't watch golf and then did. And to me, that changes the game. And that's, I think, your point is that, that sure, Steph Curry's great, but he's not changing the game. He's not changing the culture of the game like Tiger did. Yeah, and it's almost like it was all of a sudden okay for, because I think a lot of African Americans didn't really feel welcomed by golf at that time. Still don't. Before (laughs) Tiger Woods, yeah. And maybe still a little bit don't. Um, But I know a lot. Um, several of the, the guys at YS said that they played golf um, and they're Afri- African-Americans and they play golf probably because of Tiger Woods. And I don't know, I think it's just kind of blasphemous to say that Steph Curry, who while he's having a nice run right now, I mean, he's won one NBA title. He's, I mean, I don't even know if you can say he's a top 50 player ever yet. I mean, obviously uh, he's yeah, only in like yeah. the, what, his eighth year, seventh year, something like that. Um, I think it's just ridiculous. As a college golfer myself, you look at how competitive young players are nowadays. You think of Jordan Spieth, um, Smiley Kaufman, Ricky Fowler. Jason Day. Jason Day. But even even guys like who are 23 and younger, that's all basically since Tiger came along. When you think about it, you know, he his first coming to age was probably 1997 when he won the Masters. And that was 19 years ago now. And all of these young, great golfers are a product of Tiger Woods. I truly believe, uh, as kind of part of that generation, um, a lot of the people I've talked to, golf is in the junior ranks as competitive as ever. Um, And that's why kids are, at 22 years old, ready to go play on the PGA Tour. Well, and not even changing, like we talked about the the African-American thing, the way people train in golf, Mm -hmm. everybody the mm-hmm. way the way his peers trained. People didn't train like that before Tiger. People didn't lift weights. People weren't in shape. I mean, you know, you go watch professional golf. You might see guys who are in shape, and you might see guys who aren't. John Daly was winning majors right. at this Typically point in time. now, <laughs> when you see professional golfers, and, you know, I'm sure guys your age and, and the, the people you're talking about, they took their – their lead from Tiger Russell Russell Henley has talked uh, has talked about that a lot of guys his age and the guys he played golf with at Georgia Harris English and 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 Hudson Swafford and those guys they talked about training and lifting weights and the things that Tiger did and your the guys your age and a little bit older than you grew up watching that and I think that's another way he's changed the game I mean look again the Warriors are a great team. Steph Curry's a great player, but he hasn't changed the game of basketball the way Tiger changed golf and the culture around it. I think if, Absolutely like, not. if you're looking at just saying, oh, well, the, the dominance of the three-point line is because they – I'd go Reggie Miller. I'd say Reggie – Reggie kind of – Reggie Ray Allen in that era I just, is what – I, I, I don't think, think we're progressing further now with, with Thompson and Curry, but I wouldn't say that that's – It's not him changed. alone. Yeah, it's not him It's not alone. like Steph Curry made the three-point shot cool. Right. Like it, was, <laughs> it was cool before he came along. He's just kind of done it better than anybody ever before. And it's a progression, like you said, yeah. from guys. Ray Allen is one – is a perfect one. I mean, those kind of guys who came along – who kind of said, you, you know, Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr now coaches the Warriors. 
I mean, he played with some of those guys. He was a three-point shooter. They, although they didn't, nobody shot it as much as the Warriors do now. But it is a progression as opposed to Tiger, who was this just force of nature who took over the game for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, to Justin's point, if Tiger wasn't playing in a major, it was a disappointment. I've been at the Masters when Tiger's there and when Tiger's not there. And there's a different feel to it. I've been in the master at the Masters when Tiger's in the hunt, and it's 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 just dominates the entire tournament. When he made that chip at the Masters on 16, uh, and then eventually went into a a, a playoff and then won it, that famous chip uh, that's as loud as I've ever heard at a golf course. And yeah, people would get excited if that had been anybody else, but that was Tiger, and it was it's just a different feel to it. I, look. I believe Tiger and Michael Jordan and those guys are on a different level mm-hmm. than anybody we see right now. Look, LeBron is great, but Tiger and 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 Michael Jordan and we you know we just had the passing of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali is above everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. people don't. I mean, he's the most famous athlete in the world in every world and I mean every country in the world. So he's above everybody else. And then I think Tiger and 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 Michael. And you mentioned Jackie Robinson. Those kind of guys are, are kind of below Muhammad. And then there's a big st- drop-off yeah, to this day, yes. you know, yeah. to, to guys now. And, I mean, Steph Curry's not even really a – I don't think he's on LeBron's level as far as being a cultural kind no, of an icon. No. So I don't know how he changes and I saw, things. Um, man, I don't remember who put this out, but um, as far as the most – polarizing or well-known athletes around the world right now espn did it the other day was it espn steph curry wasn't even in like the top 60 yeah yeah (laughs) so i mean lebron's up in the top five of course this doesn't take into account the people that like have come before like you mentioned michael jordan but it's just like today's athletes and that's even crazier yeah and but you have to take into the world into account as soccer is probably the most yeah, popular sport but there's four guys in the top five i'll tell you this and it's the it's kind of the unique thing or interesting thing in our country, there's this arc of fame where everybody's cheering for you, everybody's cheering for you, and then you get on top, and then everybody wants to tear you down. And I think that's what you're going to start to see from Steph Curry. You're kind of seeing it now, where people are starting picking apart every little thing that he does. He don't play defense. And Yeah, I mean, you know, and and that's going to start happening to him to maybe where he might be on that list in in a couple of years. Tiger was completely just torn. He got to the top, and every little thing he did – was was ridiculed and picked apart to the point where now you really really miss that guy that was on top. I think Tiger has gone all the way down where he might start coming back. If he ever starts winning again, I think there will be that kind of a second chance thing in our country where people will start to love him again. I mean, he a lot of the stuff you're talking about was was deserved. I mean, he brought that on himself yeah. with some of oh, the stuff definitely. he did. Yeah. But I I <laughs> you know, I think there's that thing where you start to feel sorry for people when they get down and, and they've been knocked down and knocked down and knocked down, if he gets himself back up and he ever wins another major, it will be the biggest sports story probably in a long time. I, I still say arguably the greatest, one of the greatest sports stories that I'll ever have been able to say I watched was him on, USO one, yeah, on one knee. Yeah. His torn ACL, broken knee, whatever. He had all that going on. And on one knee, he played 18 extra holes and then an extra hole to beat Rocco Mediate for a major. At the U.S. Open, at which is US a Open. different is a different kind of a test. You do that at, you know, the, the British Open where or the PGA. I mean, the U.S. Open is a different kind of test than any other major. And you're right. I, that's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. Yeah, let's not get too off topic, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and um, 
introduce Daniel for the first time after you, you've heard him talk for a little bit. He's currently the sports editor of the Telegraph here in Macon, Georgia, where Justin and I both go to school. He's been here since 2006. He's also the co-host of the Midday Sports Zone with Russ Brown here in Macon. Uh, that's a new radio station. Used to be with Fox Sports, but now he's with uh, affiliated with ESPN. That's right. And uh, he's formerly of the Albany Herald, where he was the sports editor there. He also graduated from Clemson University and um, big Clemson fan. So big we're Clemson talk fan. A little bit about Clemson My today. Purple Clemson hat right here. Right um, <laughs> along with, um, we're going to talk a little bit about college football, uh, a little bit about Kevin Durant, and uh, some San Francisco 49ers because he's also a 49ers fan. I but am. before we get into all that, we want to ask you a couple of questions okay. about the sports media industry. So first, you're a sports editor I at am. a newspaper. So what are your duties as a sports editor, and what are some of the pros and cons of that position as opposed to just being like a normal staff writer? Well, my duties pretty much I run. I'm in charge of everything that goes in our section. Um, it's weird now how my duties have changed uh, since I became sports editor, and I was a sports editor in Albany for seven years. Back then, I didn't write as much as I do now. I wrote a little bit. I helped out. I was kind of a utility piece, and when, when somebody needed some help, I'd help them. If something was going to get covered that the other staff members couldn't cover, I would cover it. But mainly, I managed the other staff members. I did. The, I laid out the pages. I designed all the pages. I read all the copy. I still do all those things here, uh, but now I also am the Mercer beat writer as well. So, uh, But it, it's typically... And, and and now, you know, we're shooting a lot of video, we're doing a lot of digital, we're doing a lot of website work, uh, do a lot of coding for our website. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a, a little bit of everything, to be honest. Um, still have all the duties of, of managing my staff. We have three other writers, uh, one here in, uh, two here in Macon who cover high schools, and then we have a writer in Athens who covers UGA. And then I cover Mercer, and that's really our main coverage focus. Uh, we have a freelancer who covers Georgia Tech, but uh, it's really kind of still manage those three guys uh, and do a lot of the stuff that I've always done as far as laying out the pages and, you know, designing the pages <clears throat> on a night-to-night basis, but now also covering Mercer, uh, shooting video, uh, doing website work. So it's, it's, it's the pros and cons are uh, the con is no sleep. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, you mentioned the radio show. We have changed to an 11 o'clock show. We were a seven to nine show before. So I'm getting a little bit more sleep now. And my body's getting used to that. But um, it's really it, it's, you know, when you when you have so much to do, sometimes things get left behind. Uh, and that's going to happen. When 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 I got here, we had nine people on staff. Now we have four. So we're still trying to cover not the same amount as we did before, but as much of the same amount as we did before because we have pride in our jobs. I mean, we could slack off and just say, uh, we've only got four people. This is all we can cover. But, you know, I've got a good staff who doesn't think like that. And uh, I would say that's the con is just there's so much that we don't get done that I would like to do uh, as far as coverage. The pro is, you know, I get to cover sports for a living. I get to write about sports for a living. I get to talk to you guys. I get to work. That's one of the pros for me, too, is working with you guys as students. I, I, that really has been a big-time uh, boost for me because when you work in a place and you're working with the same people for for a long time, and I've been with the same staff now for a while. Uh, I mean, Ron and Mike, Ron Seibel and Mike Lau, Mike was here long before me. Ron got here two weeks after me. So 
Um, and Jason Butts, our UGA writer, he just started last year. But Ron and Mike, we've been together for 10 years. And so you kind of get into a, I wouldn't say a rut, but you get into a routine. Well, now working with the students, you know, I get fresh ideas from y'all. I get kind of a boost from y'all coming in and say, hey, I've got this story idea. What do you think about this? And that that does something for me. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's a big-time pro. And just the fact that, you know, we get to cover sports and we get to go to games and we get to be around personalities. We get to interview guys like Kyle Lewis and, you know, the Mercer Outfitter who – hopefully as a Phillies fan will be the number one pick in the draft Thursday night. So, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I think the cons are just, there are things that I would like to do as a staff that we just can't do because of the, the numbers of staff and the pro is just, uh, you know, we get to do this for a living and somebody gives me a paycheck. Yeah. Well, you list, uh, working with us as a pro, I'd say the, the pretty big pro for us is being able to yeah. work with you guys and, and get, uh, some bylines and, um, experience learn the, learn yeah, learn the, like, learn I mean, the business as a i'm going to be a sophomore next year in, in college and you'll be a senior but um this is basically your first year yeah uh, this is my first year journalism i did the same thing when i was in college we didn't have a we had this center for collaborative journalism that mercer started and it's just a great thing that we're involved in we didn't have that when i was at clemson we didn't even have a journalism program when i was at clemson uh but we had a we had a professor who had been a publisher at four or five smaller newspapers out in the out in the west coast and he started teaching at clemson and he kind of got all of us as a group and we learned practical stuff from him and that's what i learned and i was also working at the school the the my hometown paper in anderson south carolina at the time as you learn practical uses i mean you guys can sit in a classroom all you want to but you don't really learn anything until you get out and do it you don't learn anything until you get out and write you don't learn anything until you get out and shoot video and that's that's what I hope we're passing along is the practical stuff of here's how you do an interview. Here's what happens when it doesn't go right. Here's what happens when the person you're supposed to interview doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the things that you have to learn and you got to get out in the field. And I think that's the best part of the CCJ. You can't learn to write on deadline in the classroom. No. And, and, if, and, if, and you have to learn to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. That's one of the best. You asked me a pro about my job. That's one of the best parts about my job is the deadline stuff. I love deadline pressure. I love it. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine that I've worked with in my career who are no longer in newspapers. And one thing they say is, boy, I miss working on deadline. They get into another job, you know, because every day I get up the next morning and I'm still old school. I like to pick up the newspaper and I, I look on the website too, but. Every morning I get up the next morning and I can hold what I accomplished in my hands the day before. And people miss that when they get out of the business. That's And if you don't like deadline pressure and if you don't like the rush of looking at the clock and saying, i got to be done in five minutes. And if I'm not done in five minutes, I'm late. If you don't like that, this is probably not the, the business for you, I mean, to be honest. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. I was, went up to Atlanta for my birthday and, and Mercer had a big game that day against Chattanooga. I wrote that story in the car yeah. on the way back, and I had it up, you know, before like ten minutes after the game ended. But I was sitting there like on my phone watching the game. I think and I sent you, uh, I sent you videos and the quotes yeah. from from Coach Lamb and everything. Yeah, and so the, I mean, the I'm, struggle uh, is real. I mean, yeah, you guys, yeah. I, I, y'all don't understand, y'all don't know, but I remember days of using, you know, bef- when laptops just got started, and we had these old radio Radio Shacks. And the screen was maybe four lines. You could see four lines at a time of what you were writing. And we had couplers, and you had to hook up to a phone line. 
and you had to, and I, you know, had to, you have, would have to go to a hotel that maybe had a fax line after a high after covering a high school football mm. game. You have to go find a fax line to hook into your computer. I vividly remember, <laughs> and I'll tell you this, and I don't want to go too far off of it, but covering a game at Jones County, and I was working at the the Valdosta newspaper back then. I was covering a girls state championship game at Jones County High School in Gray. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know Gray. I didn't know Macon. I was living in Valdosta. I just started in the business. I was maybe 25, maybe 24. So I'm covering a game at Jones County. And at their gym, there's a little indention in the one end uh, of the court where there's a wall and there's a little indention behind the basket. So they had me set up a table down there to hmm. cover the game. So I'm sitting down there. There's like a little nook. And I'm sitting down there. And I'm covering the game. And uh, after my game was over, there were four games, and I had like the 530 game. So I'm covering the 530 game as Lowndes High School, and the next game starts. Well, I've got to find a way to get my story to the Valdosta newspaper at the time. So at that point, there's a phone line hanging out of the ceiling. <laughs> okay, I have to stand up on the table that I'm using to write my story, hook my radio shack into the phone, and I'm holding it with one hand, and I'm getting the couplers to hook on to, the, to, to send the story. And people are watching the seven <laughs> o'clock game, looking at me, pointing at me. What what is that idiot doing down there? And I'm trying to send my story. And that was it's a different world now. Now we have wireless. Now you can hook up to anywhere. Can't even but imagine. But you that. can't imagine. And I'm t- and and I would tell people wow. older than me that story, and they'll say, Yeah, but this is what I did. <laughs> you know, before the couplers came along. So it's it's changed a lot. But it's it's all you're right, Justin. It's fun when you're when you're driving and you got to go find a hot spot to send your story or you got to get it done in 10 minutes. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had stories written and on deadline had to change them because something happened. The masters this year, I had to do that. I had that story written that mm-hmm. Jordan Spieth was going to win the masters. Yeah. And then I had to change it. That's part of the fun of the job for sure. Yeah. You, you mentioned a little bit about this, but, what has been some of the biggest changes in sports media since you began studying? Well, I think uh, I think it's mainly the technology. I mean, you know, I, when I again when I started, and when I started in the business, um, and I'll tell you, it, it, it's interesting. We still pasted the pages onto the. We had paste up pretty okay. much, okay, and they were on a board, and we would go cut out if I was a line over, what needed to be in the paper. We had a guy who I worked with, and he had a little knife, and he would clip out the line that didn't need to be in the paper, and then they would take a picture of that that's laying on a board, the page itself. And we would ship it out, and we'd print it, and they'd put it on the board. And if I had to cut something, say you guys are a line over now for, for whatever your story needs to be. Now I just I highlight on the screen, and I change it. Then we had, to, <laughs> we, had to, we had to have a guy in the production staff with a little knife, and he would cut it out. And they would take a picture of it and put it on the press. They would have hated me back in the that, day. Yeah, that's how the, that's how things were. Um, fifteen lines over. So, but you would if it was fifteen lines over, maybe you cut this graph out and then move a graph up. I vividly remember, got working with the guys in Valdosta, and that was their job: cutting the stuff out and moving stuff up hmm. and moving. So then you know then we got into pagination, and we started on PageMaker when I was in Valdosta. And PageMaker is very similar to InDesign. It's kind of like the, the, the young InDesign. And PageMaker kind of grew. It's an Adobe, Adobe product, and it grew into InDesign. But I had worked on, uh, uh, I had worked on PageMaker in college. 
So when I got in Valdosta, we were doing paste up. And then he said, well, we're going to this new thing where you guys can actually paginate the pages. And that was a big accomplishment. And we were going to use Cork, Cork Express. And my boss didn't know how to use it. My assistant sports editor didn't know how to use it. Well, I got on it and looked at it. And it was so similar to PageMaker that I know how to use it. It was almost the same product. So, but I had to train my boss and my assistant sports <laughs> editor how to use it. And I said, y'all can't ever fire me because you don't know how to use this stuff. <laughs> uh, you, you're learning it's from nice me. nice leverage. Yeah, I had a lot of leverage there for about two weeks. <laughs> and then they picked it up. But that the technology, I mean, it, you know, and now everything is immediately to the web. I mean, we've got stuff on Kyle Lewis tonight that we're doing that in the old days we would – put it on the page and everybody would wait and see it tomorrow. And it would be this big thing. Oh, we saw this in paper. Well, now it's going up on the website tonight and they did a video package to go with it. And, uh, it, it's the technology has changed everything. Yeah. You know, the process of putting out the paper and that hasn't really changed a whole lot in the last 10 years, but the technology of what, who we can reach, you know, now people can read me online who live in another country. They don't have to live in, in middle Georgia. Our reach is so different. Twitter has changed everything. You know, and I, I've got almost 2,000 followers. I think that's a big deal. It's not really a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But those are people who can retweet me and re, somebody else can retweet it and somebody else can retweet it. And you mentioned getting 50 Twitter retweets. Yeah. You know, yeah. that those are people that are retweeting it to someone else who might read it. They might not necessarily retweet it or or tweet back at you but other people are reading it that yeah. you can reach the number of impressions right. that you get is before you couldn't they, reach those people. yeah yeah now i think the technology has changed it's changed how we can do things but it's also and, and you know maybe that's a bad thing because the newspaper business has struggled to keep up with that but it's also a good thing in the number of people we can reach and the number of eyeballs that are seeing our our work and and our circulation has dipped and dipped and dipped and dipped. And that's true. And that, that, that really stinks about our business. But if you look at it as the number of people who are looking at your work, it's, it's higher now than it's ever been. We just have to find a way to monetize that as a business. Mm -hmm. Well, something, you know, I'm interning this summer with Daniel and some of the, you know, at the Telegraph. And one of the things that I've done in the first couple of weeks was the map of Kirby Smart and where he's gone. Right. The ability to tell a story in a different way. Uh, using technology, I think, is also pretty important. Um, using those as resources. Um, can, if you could just talk a little bit about that, yeah, being able the, to tell stories in different ways. Yeah, the, the, you don't have to write a story. You know, I I, I did a thing this this summer with a Q and A with each of the these coaches at Mercer, the the two basketball coaches, Coach Lamb for football, and I've got to meet with Coach Gibson. I mean, he's a little bit busy this week with the major mm -hmm. league draft going on, so I'm going to meet with him next week. Um, but. I, and I did put it in the paper as well, but I didn't have to. I, I just did a and a with them, and it was three parts, each one of them. And that could have just been online only if I wanted it to. The maps you were talking about. There are, there are ways that you can reach people that don't have to be a 400-word story. You know, and then that's the, you know, people fall back into, well, this is what I'm comfortable with. I can write a 500-word 500, a 500 story, and that's what I know. Well, those days are gone. Those days of... People just wanting to read a straight 500-word story and getting everything out of that story, those days are over. Now you have to, maybe you write the 500-word story, but you link to a story that you wrote last week about the same topic. Or you put a video in about the story that you did uh, two months ago. 
you know, the, and, and you get eyeballs that way. So it really, those things have changed everything. But again, I think that's another good way to reach people as well. And like the map you did, I thought that was terrific. I mean, those are the kind of things online that you can do that are different than what you see in print. And then you make both products viable, you know, because you can't do that in, on print. But I can write this story in print that maybe goes with that, and then maybe two different sets of readers will read it or see it, and it becomes a viable product on both, on both sides. You spoke about social media, especially Twitter. It seems as if a lot of sports media personalities are basically working 24-7 nowadays. Would you say that's true with how the business has changed, and is it worth it? Uh, 24-7, I mean, we have to sleep a little bit, mm-hmm. so, um, but, you know, you know, I, here's the way I feel about it. Like, Jason, our UGA beat writer, I don't know how he gets a good night's sleep. I really don't, because if one of their players gets arrested in the middle of the night or, or something happens, he's got to know about it immediately, and he's got to get it on Twitter immediately, um, uh, and get it on our website immediately. I, so I don't know how he gets any sleep, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I love what he does, but you're right. I mean, there are times when it feels like, my goodness, I, you know, it's just so much and we have to do so much and you have to get so much on the website and everything has to have an accompanying video or everything has to have a photo gallery or, you know, but I, I, is it worth it? I think it is. I, I do because I feel like, again, people trust us. And when people trust you to report what's going on, our high school co- our high school writers, I trust the fact that they are doing what's best for our high school readers. People trust the fact that they're reporting stuff that has to be reported. The stuff with the GHSA basketball tournaments leaving Macon, that's a big deal for Macon. And people might say, oh, it's just basketball tournaments not going to be here in Macon. You know how much money that brings to Macon? Mm-hmm. Now, in the old days... Teams would come here and stay in hotels, and they'd buy food, and they'd stay overnight, and those kind of things. Those don't happen as much because they don't play the semifinals and the finals here anymore, but there are still people in town. There are still people buying food at our restaurants, and for us to lose that and the prestige of that of something that's been going on for years and years and decades, and now it's gone, I think people still trust us enough to do that. And that, to me, that's a big responsibility, and and it's not something you take lightly. Um. If you could just kind of, if you had one piece of advice to give to somebody that's aspiring to be a sports journalist, what would it be? Uh, And it's funny, you asked me how things have changed in the business. This piece of advice still would never change. This was a piece of advice I got when I got in the business. And now what he was referring to has changed, but the advice stays the same. Learn to do as many different things as you can. Back then it was, you got to learn how to write and you have to know how to do pages. And you have to know... Other things, because it's all focused towards print, okay? So you wanted to learn as much as you could do in print, and that goes back to me teaching my bosses how to use Quark. They didn't know how to use it, but I but I could do it, and I think that's helped me in my career. I'm not, the, I'm not a great, I don't consider myself a great writer. I think I'm a pretty good writer, but I think I'm, I'm kind of like the, a guy on a basketball team who can do a little bit of everything. You know, I'm not a great shooter. I'm not a great rebounder. I'm not a great passer, but I can do it all just not great. I'm pretty good at all of it. So I feel like I would be a pretty good teammate. Maybe I'm Andre Iguodala, come off the bench and help the team win and be the, you know, I don't think I'd be the MVP of the NBA finals, 
But I mean, that kind of talent of being able to do everything. Daniel's the real MVP. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'm the real yeah. MVP. But so now it's learn how to do everything, and that refers to you got to be able to write, or you wouldn't be in the business. But now you have to be able to shoot video. You have to be able to uh, be able to do pages a little bit, not as much. But you got to be able to do Twitter. You got to be able to use Facebook. You got to be able to do maps. You got to be able to do all the stuff on the website too to make you viable. And what that does as you're coming out of college, when I need somebody who's versatile and I have two, two writers of the same talents, well, this person can do Twitter and he does Facebook and he can do the website and he can do all this other stuff. And this person is just as good a writer, but that's all he can do. Who am I going to hire? I'm going to hire the person who can do more. And I think that makes you more viable as a candidate for a job. And it makes you more viable once you get a job to be able to do other things and, and you can move on to bigger and better things. Is there anything that you learn in school and in your early days at Clemson that is essentially irrelevant today in the sports media industry? Well, the first two years of classes that I took that were all gen ed classes were, <laughs> no, I'm joking about that. I, I would say no. I mean, I, look, I, you know, I, I wasn't a big science. I wasn't good in science. I wasn't good in math, but you have to take those classes to build on to other things. I think, I would say no, because I think everything that you learn helps you become who you are the next day. I'll learn something today that'll help me become better tomorrow. Well, I suppose just like relating to journalism. Right. Relating to journalism? No, because I think the tenets are still there. I really do. I, I think that it's still, even with all this other stuff that we're talking about with video and, and learning all this other stuff and Twitter, I still think the tenets of journalism, if you still have the basis and you still have that, that strong base of knowing what's right and wrong. I mean, because, look, in this day and age, and when you can retweet something and, and you can get jumped on about it and maybe it's not right or, you know, and people still, I still think people still, for the most part, if, you're, if you do it the right way, people notice. So I think the things that I learned anyway, maybe it's, some, maybe it's different from other people because I think I learned the right way. You do, you treat people the right way, you do things the right way, and that will help you in the long run. And I, so I would say, I don't think so. I mean, that, look, there are some things that I learned just basic, I mean, paste up, we don't use paste up anymore. There are some things that have evolved in the production of it that have changed that I don't need anymore. But as far as the, what you learned as far as how to be a good journalist and how not to be a good journalist, I think those things are still the same. Um, Give us your favorite memory as a sport journalist. Like, it's just something that just really sticks out in your mind. My favorite memory, um, you know, I've had a lot. I, I really have. I covered the Super Bowl uh, in Atlanta. And, you know, this is another one of those things where we talk about having to get your story back. I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you guys are even old enough to remember that Super Bowl being Atlanta, and there was an ice storm, and it was you know there, it was it was what, just a bad week. What year was it? It was it was the Titans and the Rams. I don't remember what year it was, but was they played. Nine. They played in the Super Bowl. Well, there's an ice storm in Atlanta, and where I was sitting in the Georgia Dome, I was up at the top. They had an auxiliary press box. I could not get connected to our paper from up there because the the, the wireless or whatever back, whatever we used back then, it wasn't wireless, was not strong enough. So I had to go outside in about 20 degree cold in an auxiliary tent to try to get my story sent. 
Still couldn't get it sent, so I drove to my sister's house <laughs> in uh, uh, in Kennesaw and got it sent that way. So that one that was a that was a good one. Um, you That's know, a heck of a Super Bowl. Too, that was a heck of a Super Bowl to see. Is right <laughs> to to sit there and see that one. But I think a lot of my memories are covering high school stuff. I you know covering covering a high school championship game, covering uh, I, I you know covering the Masters obviously is a big one for me. I've been doing it now for so long, but that first time walking into the Masters and covering that. But you know, just small stuff like my high, former high school editor and I were going to the George Dome what, five years ago now and or four years ago now and seeing Grayson play and Robert Kendici was on that team and him telling me this guy is going to be the best player in the country and uh, him just seeing him throw some offensive tackle like 10 yards mm-hmm. out of the way yep. so he could go make a sack. And stuff like that, small stuff like that. You, you know, When I was in college, uh, Horace Grant played for the Bulls. And uh, I went over to, kind of like you guys would do now, do something on Kyle Lewis. I was going over to do something on Horace Grant and walking in the locker room and walking up to Michael Jordan and him saying, well, I've already done my 10 minutes. I mean, he didn't talk to me. He, you know, back then they only did 10 minutes of interviews in the locker room. I don't know what the rules are now. And if they had done their 10 minutes, they didn't have to do any more. And so I walked up to him and he said, I've done my 10 minutes. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, and what rude. It wasn't anything like that. But I was like. Michael Jordan just talked to me and told me he had done his 10 minutes. So there's small stuff like that. But I, I really – my favorite part of the job is getting to know the high school coaches, getting to know the high school kids, getting to know the Mercer coaches now since I've had the beat here at Mercer. And I, I think those would be the best memories for me. And obviously this is tough to do, but if you had to make a guess what the sports media industry looks like in 30 years, what would you – yeah, picture it because I've been in it for now for about 20 was it 93 to now what is that 25 years 20 22 years yeah 22 years about so that would be about halfway through my career to end of 30 I hope I'm still in it in 30 years I hope they don't run me off <laughs> um, but I think you're going to see more of the same there's going to be you know now everything is picking up the phone I mean here I am with my phone right now and I could read every story that we have on our website on the phone who would have thought that 10 years ago even mm-hmm. when the internet exploded and i mean now everything's mobile we get a large large portion of our website or our uh, our digital traffic for the telegraph on our on people's phones and we can track those things now i think that's the big change that you're going to see that you guys are going to have to deal with in in five or ten years that i never had to deal with is knowing how many people are looking at my story at a certain time and oh the headline's not very good i'm going to change it to make it a a better headline and see how that changes it. You guys are going to have to keep up with uh, how many people, well, should we cover this story? Cause I don't know how many people are going to look at it where well, that wasn't always the thing. We always just kind of guessed. Mm-hmm. Now we have websites and, and you walk out in our newsroom, y'all see it, see the website up and it'll tell you how many people are on our website right now. How many people are looking at this story? How many people are looking at this story? How many people are looking at this story? And I think that's the big change that you're going to have to, it, not a quota, not anything like that, but you're going to have to say, well, I'm going to write this story. There's some stories you have to write. Yeah. You know, there's some things you have to write. A crime, a murder, or, or, you know, somebody gets robbed. You have to put those stories on the website. But do I go cover this game where there might be 200 people there and even fewer people are going to look at it on the website? Those are things that y'all are going to probably have to deal with throughout your entire career, and I'll have to deal with it the next 10 years or 15 years. 
that I never thought I'd have to deal with. And I think that's going to be a big change in, in our business. How we do things, who knows what the next big software thing is? Who knows what what the next Twitter is? I mean, you know, now you got Instagram, you got Snapchat. What else, I mean, is there out there? I mean, you guys know stuff that I don't know. I mean, my sons are on websites that I don't even, I mean, my sons are on Instagram. I'm not it's on like Instagram. Vine, Vine, Periscope. Yeah, Periscope. I mean, yeah, Periscope. you're using Periscope now. <laughs> we, I've only used Periscope twice in my life. And so, I mean, who knows what the next software change is? But I think systematically dealing with having to know how many people are looking at each story is going to be the big change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to transition now a little bit more into, you know, some sports. Just sports talk. Uh, okay. Yeah. And we'll keep it relatively short for each topic. We don't want to go too far into it. Sure. Um, college football. It. I'm long-winded. If I go too long, just cut me yeah, off. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, we'll hit college football first. Yes. Uh, do you have an early I just wanted to 10? talk. Yeah, just um, early top ten rankings. Uh, I know we're still kind of far off. Um, for me, so I, I wrote out my top ten. This is my top ten. Okay. Alabama at one. Okay. I've got Clemson at two. Wise man. <laughs> I thought you were going to ridicule me for putting them at two and not one. I can't. You can't criti- – and no one can be criticized for putting Alabama at one every single year as long as Nick Saban is the head coach. Yeah. Uh, I've got Oklahoma at three. Um, Michigan at four. Florida State at five. LSU at six. Ohio State at seven. This is my wild card. Tennessee at eight. I, I don't really keep going, and I'll tell you card. which ones. I Notre have Dame at nine and Georgia at ten. I have, I have three issues. Okay, Michigan's a little high. Fair. Uh, yeah, I, I love the Jim Harbaugh love, and look, as a 49ers fan, I wish he was still the 49ers coach. He's an unbelievable coach. But I mean, they still won what eight games last year? Is that right? No, they were, they were they ten were, and three. They went ten. Yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, should have been eleven and two. But they still <laughs> are to my in my mind, they're still behind Ohio State. They're still behind Michigan State. In in really? the, in the behind hierarchy Michigan of the State. Big Ten. Huh. I, I, I think th- who was the other one? Uh, who did you have seven? Uh, I had Ohio State at seven. Who'd you have eight? I'm sorry. Tennessee. Tennessee is too high for me because I don't trust Tennessee. That's I, fair. I, you know, everybody yeah. last year said Tennessee, 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 and I don't trust it. I, I don't trust something until I see it, and I haven't seen it from them. And in Georgia, I think is a little high because, I mean, I think eventually Kirby's going to do a great job. They've got problems on their offensive line, hmm. and they've got. As good as their defense, quote, was last year, go back and look who they played. They didn't play very good offensive last year. They played Florida, who was terrible on offense. They mm-hmm. played Missouri. They played South Carolina. They, they played these games. They played Georgia <laughs> Tech, who, you know, and they played Georgia Southern. So, you know, this year they've got Alabama on their schedule. And, they, I mean, they, they had Alabama last year. They, no, they have LSU on the schedule LSU, this year. I'm yeah. sorry, not Alabama. They're going to place better – no, they got North Carolina, who's a better offense than anybody they played last mm-hmm. year. Oh, yeah. So, we'll see. So, I think Georgia's a little high. But the rest of them I'm good with. I think if I had to say my top four for the playoff right now, I would say Alabama, Clemson. I like Oklahoma. And I like I, – I, I don't know that the ACC could get two teams in, but I think Florida State's the fourth best is – the, is the other fourth team in, in, the, in the country right now. Q, QB is such a wild card for Florida State. Um, yep. I don't know if they can get there with Sean McGuire, honestly. I think the only way they get there is if DeAndre Francois is like, not Jameis Winston, but close. Well, they have everything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are unbelievable. But the offense last year, um, with Everett Golson and even McGuire a little bit near down the down the stretch, especially that Houston game. Just can't forget that game. Yeah. It's so bad. 
the offense is so bad. I mean, Dalvin Cook was literally the offense. Well, even and, go to the Clemson game. Mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook has the big run in the first in the first series. He scored a touchdown. The next series, he has a big run. They didn't do anything offensively after that. Yep. And that was because of quarterback play. And so, so yeah, you got to get you have to get better quarterback play. Clemson's a perfect example of that. Look at their quarterback play with Taj Boyd and Deshaun Watson as opposed to their quarterback play with Cole Ham. I mean, uh, uh, oh, my God, not Cole Hamels. Cole Stout, sorry. Cole Hamels, I'm mixing Phillies, up my themes yeah. <laughs> there. Cole Stout. It's a huge difference. You have to have good quarterback play no matter what the system is. I'm not saying everybody has to – I mean, Georgia Tech got good quarterback play two years ago from Justin Thomas running, the, running their system. You mm-hmm. have to have steady, good quarterback play no matter what the system is, I think, to have a good college football team. Don't disagree. A, a couple teams to watch, LSU and Stanford. Stanford, I, I, I love Stanford. McCaffrey. Like that. Right. But that, I about and, Hogan playing, being gone. See, I don't, like, I don't know that Just like what he just said. You, I think you have, it depends on who they have playing quarterback. But yeah. I love David Shaw. I think, yeah, David, I do too. I I think too. David Shaw is the most underrated coach in the country. because And everybody – because – there's the Harbaugh effect. Everybody says, well, Harbaugh built it. He's just continuing it. Do you know how hard that is at a place like Stanford yeah. that's never done it before? <laughs> I mean, they, they've had good stretches. Bill Walsh was unbelievable there. That was 40 years ago. And, and Harbaugh was good there. But to continue what Harbaugh did, uh, when you're not in a recruiting hotbed, and, and California is a recruiting hotbed, but not many of those kids can get into Stanford. Yeah, they're all I mean, going to, to UCLA, USC. USC or, yeah, yeah. Because they could get into Stanford. Yeah, that too. <laughs> you know, if Stanford had UCLA and USC's academics and what they've done now, they would have a top two or three recruiting class every year. But you've got to be able to get into Stanford. And, and you look at, at some of the things like when, when you have a coach leave, you have a lot of people say, I don't want to go there anymore. Or they want to transfer out. Shaw's been able to keep those guys and continue to have them come in. Yeah. I think a, an example is is Baylor. Um, Browse left mm-hmm. or was fired. Um <laughs> You saw what ten recruits? Well, drop. it's also a lot, the, the, that, of course the, that has a lot the of controversy as well. Yeah, um, but you see UGA doing this like when Mark Rick left, they had well, four or say, five guys. Exactly. I yeah. mean, like whenever a coach leaves, you have people. David Shaw did a great job of keeping those guys together and, well, and, and keeping them around. I, I'm surprised he's still there. To be honest, I'm surprised he hasn't gone to. I mean, you know, maybe not Michigan because Harbaugh was going to go there, but to a Notre Dame or to a USC. Texas. Or a Texas, <laughs> right, to one of those kind of programs. Because to me, he's got elite coach written all over him. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's better than Charlie Strong. I do too. Oh, yeah. I think that would have oh, yeah. been a better hire for I Texas. I think he's one of the top five coaches yeah. in college football. Yeah. 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 I mean, Nick Saban's one. Saban's Dabo, Harbaugh. Dabo, two. Dabo's Dabo, been, I think Jimbo's up there. Jimbo's, Jimbo's, Jimbo's won a five. national title. So, I mean, he's – then Jimbo's – I mean, you don't really – and you know because you're, you're a Florida State fan – Florida State was a train wreck when Jimbo yeah. took over. Oh, yeah. At the end of Bobby Bowden's reign, it was bad. And as much really as bad. you love Bobby, I mean, you, you have to recognize he was not the same coach no. right there at the end. No. And that's, I mean, that's, but that's to be expected. And, and to take over after Bobby, I mean, you, you, know, like, you, you hear it all the time. You yeah. don't want to be the guy to replace the guy. Well, no. Jimbo was the guy to replace the guy, and he's won a national title no. since then. And he was rumored, I mean, people wanted him to go to UGA. As much as I'm, mm-hmm. I'm personally, as a UGA fan, happy to have Kirby Smart. I, I was rooting for Jimbo. I'm not going to lie. But why would you leave? Why would you leave well, Florida yeah, State to go to UGA? You I, that's a, that's a I, you know UGA fans are going to hate me for this. That's a step down. 
look at the history, look at the tradition, look at what they've done. And I, look, I know Florida State doesn't start until the 70s because they didn't really do anything before Bobby Bowden got Yeah, they were awful. But that's that's 40 years now. They've yeah. done more in 40 years than Georgia has. Well, Georgia hadn't won one right. since 80. Exactly. And mm-hmm. that's the only one they got. That's right. <laughs> I mean, as a Georgia fan, I understand that. Um, but we Any issues we, for you, Justin? I like Michigan up there, actually. I think I, I'd probably put Michigan in my top four right now. I would say two years from now, Michigan's in the top five every year because mm-hmm. I think hardball is that good. But I would say right – I'd say today – this year is just is maybe one year too early. I think he overperformed last year. I don't think they should have been 10-3 and three last year. That team was not supposed to be any good, and they were. And so I think this year he's going to have another year under his belt. I think that there's, there's no reason why they can't compete. Like you said, though, they are going to compete in the same thing with Michigan State and Ohio State. But I think those two teams lost. They a did. Lot. They lost a lot of players. Ohio and State's still going to be a good. laundry list of players. Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott. You had a, a couple of their wide receivers uh, gone. Cardell. Of, yeah. uh, I mean, okay. well, I think Cardell's going to be the Bills' starting quarterback by the end of the year. I can see that. I really do. I think Rex Ryan's going to get desperate. I really do. But it, it, you know, the thing about Harbaugh is, if you don't think he's a good coach, look at the 49ers. They were garbage before he I'm got there. I'm not sure there. how you could say he's a bad coach. They were, really, but a lot of people think he's he's a little full of hot air. And, and I mean, I think look, he's crazy. There's no doubt well, about he is. that. Did you see? Uh, and he tucks his jerseys into year, his two years ago um, when he was on Colin Coward's show, and they just hung up on him. Yeah, he's crazy. Yeah. There's no doubt yeah. about that. But if he's your guy, he's a good kind of crazy. The 49ers mm-hmm. were awful before he got there. He went to the Super Bowl. He went to three NFC Championship games. They had one off season and they ran him off, and now the 49ers are awful again. So, I mean, that tells me everything I need to know. What are what were they before you got there, and what are they after you leave? And he's he's unbelievable. I think Michigan five years from now is going to be where Alabama is right now. And I think number one, just being honest, I 100% think that the best player in the country is about to lead the best team in the country, and I think it's Clemson. I'll I know right. you probably like that, but I mean, I, being I'm being very honest, Deshaun Watson is a is a once in a lifetime talent at quarterback for for a college. Eh, let's I, not say once in a lifetime. That's kind of well for for, 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 for Clemson, each school yeah. for each okay, school okay, to okay. get a yeah he didn't mean a, in the game no no no, no 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 for <laughs> a school like you you at Florida State have Jameis Winston. Well, you had Charlie Ward. Yeah. Don't forget how good Charlie Ward Charlie was. Ward. Charlie Ward. But I think Charlie Ward was a better college guess, player than Jameis Winston. I guess once in a generation. Yeah. That might be a yeah. better okay. way of framing it. Once in a generation type quarterback. So every 20 years. Um, you Look, it's a Clemson fan. I'll tell you, Clemson is a better, is a different program with Deshaun than when he got there. I mean, Taj Boyd was a really good quarterback. But Taj Boyd is not close to Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. As Deshaun far as Watson. his knowledge of the game – Deshaun Watson played in this high school, this this offense when he was in high school. He knows the game. He knows the checkdowns. He knows everything. Mentally, physically, he's different than anybody Clemson's ever had. Now, Jameis Winston was he was the same way. Jameis Winston came out of high school and was already the best player on the field that night. They played at Pittsburgh his oh, opening yeah. game. Trust me, I remember. And I remember watching that going. Who is this kid? He had like, Didn't he have five, a, six touchdowns? He's uh, a true, five touchdowns and like three incompletions. He completed like his ever. first 15 passes. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, who? This kid was in high school this time last <laughs> year. He's the best player on the field. Mm-hmm. And that was his freshman year. Now, yeah. and, and, you know, everybody knows about off, the off field stuff. I think he's going to be a tremendous NFL quarterback because he doesn't have to worry about the college stuff. He doesn't have to worry about He just has to go play football and stay out of trouble. And I think he'll. 
he had too much free time on his hands in college. Yeah. You don't have any free time in the NFL if you're if you're working and doing what you're supposed to do. And I think he likes the working part of football. I just don't think he liked being in college. And I think he's going to be unbelievable in the NFL. I think Deshaun is too. Well, I do too. I mean, there are people who is he think too small. I mean, he's six. He's six two and a half. Taller than Russell Wilson. I will. I meant like he's skinny, build. but he's all, well. He put on about 20, 25 pounds last year. So I think if he can put on another fifteen pounds of muscle, he'll be all right. But I, I think he's different because of men, he's mentally different. He's a he's a, he's two steps ahead of everybody else on the field because he studies. And he's a different kind of a cat as far as just work. He doesn't go out and party. He doesn't do all this stuff. He just studies football. He's a, he's a, you know people say gym rat. He's a gym rat as far as football is. And you brought up the the Forty ers here. We'll make a little transition just really quickly. Why are they so bad now? Well, Jim Harbaugh <laughs> left. Your, to be honest, I, you know look, they had a they had a, a a disagreement between the GM and the owner and the head coach, and the owner sided with the GM, and they haven't drafted well the last few years. They've taken some chances on some guys who've been hurt, who they thought, you know, they draft a guy with an ACL tear thinking, oh, we'll give him a redshirt year and then he'll be good. And those things haven't panned out for them. Um, so they've been hurt by the draft. That You know, you lose guys like Patrick Willis and Chris Borland and guys like that leave your team unexpectedly. It's hard to replace those kind mm-hmm. of guys. So they, they lost four or five guys who just retired. Exactly, yeah. So yep. that hurt them as well. On the but, defense. Um, I think – you know, I know Chip Kelly had kind of a rocky tenure in Philadelphia, but he can't be any worse than what the 49ers had last year. Tom I mean, Jim Sula. Tom Sula is as bad <laughs> of a football head coach as there's been in the NFL in my lifetime. So I, I think they'll be better than that just because they have a legitimate NFL staff. They had a World World Football League staff last year, and they and it showed on the field. Um, oh, gosh. QB so situation. I, yeah, I mean um, – with Kaepernick. I, it was weird. I, I read something. They they literally listed the 49ers as having the worst roster in the NFL. And, Worse than the Browns. And four years ago, they had the best roster yeah. in the NFL. You have, I mean, I don't, what, what do you do when you have – first of all, you have the, all those guys retire. Why do, why do they all retire all at Well, once? Patrick Willis was – I think Patrick Willis is a guy who's a is a real smart guy, and he was worried about his health. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see – and Chris Borland. And the same, the same thing with Borland. You don't see more guys yeah. do that. I think I think you're going to see more guys play seven or eight years. They get their money and they're going to say, "I'm done. I want to be able to walk. I want to be." I mean, look at Muhammad Ali, and I know it's different. It's boxing. It's football, but I mean, do you want to have the life, the post-athletic life that Muhammad Ali had, to where the last thirty years of his life it was really hard? Yeah. Do you want to have Junior Seau? Yeah, Junior Seau. I mean, the, the the names continue. Mike Webster is the one, the former Steelers. Uh, offensive lineman who's a Hall of Famer who was who was homeless. I mean, it, the the movie that that Will Smith did, Concussion, that came out last year, was focused on Mike Webster. So, do you want to have that kind of life, or do you and play fourteen or fifteen years, or do you want to play seven or eight years, have a ton of money, be smart with your money, put it away, never have to work a day in your life after that, and live the rest of your life with your kids? Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a lot of that, and that's what that hurt the 49ers there for a couple of years. And you mm-hmm. look at it. Before before all like that string of players, the only one I can actually think of that retired really really early, Barry Sanders. Yeah, I mean, well, Barry young. Sanders was different because Barry Sanders, I don't think Barry Sanders worried about his health, and I think you're seeing it with with Calvin Johnson. Barry Sanders got sick. What from what I can remember is he got sick of saying, "Where's all my help? 
I play with a terrible franchise. I'm getting beat up. I'm never going to win a Super Bowl. I've had a good run. The Lions are never going to do anything beyond what we're doing now, and I don't. And it's not worth my time, okay. you know. And I think that was more about him. Now, you know, I think he was worried about his long term health too. But I think he looked around, and Calvin Johnson probably did it as well. Look at the mistakes the Lions make year after year after year. It's unreal. Two years ago, they were so talented. Yeah, so talented. And now they're not. And, and they had no excuse tra- not to make a deep playoff run. And, and they're tra- talking they're about trading Matthew now. Stafford. Yeah. And, I mean, come on, you trade Matthew Stafford. What? Who's a viable player on that team? Now? I mean, the Lions are probably pretty close to. The 49ers and Browns, as far uh, yeah. as talent I would on their roster goes, yeah. I mean, you look at lost it. everything. But the only, the they, difference between them and those other two teams is they have the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And Matt you, Stafford is, is you, the you have that kind of a quarterback, you, you can cover up a lot of ills. And I, you know, I think Kaepernick was that guy, and I think he can get back to being that guy under Chip Kelly. But there's there's been a lack of trust there between him and the franchise. If they can get that back, or he can just say. Forget those guys. I'm going to go play for myself, my teammates, and my coaches. I think he can be. He can't be that kind of guy, but he can be what he was before and, and make the 49ers viable again. What do you make of him not wanting to play for the 49ers? I think it's that. I think it's the lack of trust. I think it's you know them leaking stuff to the media that that Colin doesn't like to work, and you know he was he was Harbaugh's guy. I mean Harbaugh dumped a pretty successful starting quarterback in Alex Smith who was successful under him anyway, not before Harbaugh got there. I mean, Alex Smith was about to take them to the Super Bowl before he got hurt and then Kaepernick took over. I think there was a lack of trust between – there's a lack of trust between Kaepernick and there's a lack of trust between the front office. Now, if you can get a coach in between that who can be the buffer, which is what Harbaugh was, I think he can be good again. Tom Sula was was just their guy, and he was running back to the owner in the the front office with everything that Kaepernick did – you need somebody to be the buffer, and I think maybe that's what Chip Kelly can be. Or at least that's my fandom hoping that's what Chip <laughs> Kelly can be. Uh, the potential is there for him oh, under that I, offensive he, system. He could really but thrive. Here, here's the thing with him. He's got to be more accurate throwing the ball. And and Chip Just Kelly's like, – Touch. Chip, right. Chip yeah, Kelly's offense is, is depends on the quarterback being accurate throwing the ball. If he can do that, you're right. He's got all the other skill set. The problem with Kaepernick, from what I and I read a lot of 49ers coverage, and I've re, I've heard Steve Young say this, and this Steve Young is the the epitome of this. When Steve Young joined the 49ers, he was that wild bucking Bronco, running around doing all the stuff, and Bill Walsh and and Mike Shanahan got him under control to say you have to be an accurate thrower of the ball. So Steve Young worked on that, and he has said Colin works on the things he's good at. Hmm. He lifts weights. He throws the ball 90 yards down the field. He runs all over the field, but he doesn't like to work the work at the things he's not good at. Studying offenses or studying defenses, watching film. So if how you become good to be great is you work at your weaknesses. I'm sure it's sure, like that of course, with, of course. with you with yeah. golf. I mean, yep. if you're a great putter and all you do is work on your putting and you don't work on the driving of the ball, you're never going to be great. Yeah. But if you say, well, my weakness is I'm not a great, I don't hit it straight, then I'm going to, I'm really going to focus on that. And you get good at that and you're already great at putting. I don't, you that's have to. how you become great. You have to. Right. Yep. Um, final topic for the day, and we'll make this quick. Kevin Durant, where is he going? Um, just a note the cap is tr- uh, jumping from 70 to 92 million for teams this year. So basically, like every team could sign him. 
Um, but Oklahoma City can give him like $40 million yes. more than everybody else. Yeah, because they can give him that fifth year too. Right. Um, Where I, I think he will stay in Oklahoma City. I, if I was him, I would go to San Antonio. I would go to San Antonio and play <laughs> with Kawhi Leonard, and I would go and play with Marcus Aldridge for the next 10 years and win three mm-hmm. or four titles, and everybody talks about you being an all-time great. I think, like, that's I, why this is so fun this summer is, like, he could go anywhere. Yeah. And I think the best decision him. for him is sign him one and one like LeBron's done, stay one more year, give it one more run with Russ, and then when Russ becomes a free agent, you both bolt. Go wherever you want to go. That's probably what will happen. And I that's mean, how he can make what, the most money too. Because I think right. I think I think Russ Russ probably wants to be in LA. I, I think well, Russ is an he LA played guy. At UCLA. Yeah. I yeah. think Russ is an LA guy. I think that's where he wants to go. It get Durant could still go to San Antonio next year. He'd still have all the same options, but yep. with more money. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what's most likely. But I would go ahead and jump to San Antonio because I if if you tell me you can play with Kawhi Leonard and Lamarcus Aldridge. And be coached by Greg Popovich. I want to start that clock now. That's that's yeah. what I would do because you're still going to get a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going you're, you're going to be a max guy. You're making money regardless. You're going to make money. <laughs> and you could sign a one and one with them too, right? And I, but I don't think he's going to L.A. I don't think he's going to Boston. I don't think, so. I don't think he's going to Washington. Everybody says, oh, he wants to go home and play and watch. No, don't he don't so. want that. I don't think he wants that on him because uh, I think I think guys see the pressure that's on LeBron. You think LeBron's having more fun now or when he was in Miami? Miami. Easy. Miami. Now, he was yeah, winning, but he was also around guys he liked. He doesn't like the owner in Cleveland. I don't know that he likes some of the guys he plays with, even though he kind of handpicked a couple of them. So, you know, I I don't think guys see going home and saving their city as, as viable. Mm-mm. And I don't think Durant wants to go to D.C. and be in that mix. No, I don't see why we, why you would either. I mean, Washington's not – Washington or San Antonio. I mean, yeah. the only real. difference, or even the, the only difference, is going to the East. It's an easier path to the finals. Yes, and that's you pair the him with John Wall. He's they're going to be a legit. I mean, they'll be good. And Bill, you know, Bradley Bill's Bradley, Bradley Bill's Bill's still, still there. there well. I mean, you they've got talent there, and I think they could easily be the number two seed in the East next year. But if do Durant you trust that organization? I don't, you know, I'm not. telling you, if I'm a great player and I had a chance to go to San Antonio. And see how they do things. I'm going to San because I think if Pop if he goes there, Popovich probably coach another ten years, mm-hmm. or as long yeah. as he's able to coach. And I or and then they just hand it off to one of his assistants who would continue to do a great job. I I don't I don't think that's going to happen, but I think I think you're right. I think he go he stays Oklahoma City for one more year and then sees what happens because I think they could win the title next year. They mm-hmm. could. They probably should have done it this year. They're probably the it's second not for best Clay team Thompson. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But one team that nobody really talks about that I thought would be kind of interesting. I'm not saying he's going to go there, but Portland, yeah, with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, and they've got a ridiculous amount of capital. They've room. got money, right? yeah, so they could sign somebody else. Portland's going to be busy this offseason. They're going to they be one that throws a lot of money at bring in somebody like Al Horford yeah. or Nick um, Batum. I like him personally. You, I don't know. I really like Nick, Nick Batum. Batum. He's a talented player. He can. Compl- you, you he's love a, he's Nick a five Batum. tool player. He, he is. He, he is, can do everything. I think honestly, the going back the, to Portland, the most likely landing spot for him, Golden State, because I think Batum. Harrison Barnes is gone, and I think he easily fits in their system. Well, see, I want Harrison Barnes to go to the Bulls. I think Harrison Barnes would be the perfect fit for the Bulls. Really? They don't have a small forward. He can do everything. I think he's a little underappreciated in Golden State because I mean, who do you talk about in Golden State? You talk about Steph. You talk about Clay. 
before you talk about Harrison Barnes, you talk about Draymond Green, you talk about Equaldala. Mm-hmm. I think Harrison Barnes is, is is a key player for them. I would love to see him go to Chicago. I don't know if Chicago's smart enough to do it. I've heard a lot of but Jimmy I, Butler leaving. But well, I mean, he's got to be traded. I mean, that's he, what I mean. Yeah, if they do Boston. that, I was talking to Jamie Brooks, who's a friend of mine, who's a big Bulls fan as well, and I, we were talking about butler being traded he said nothing that this franchise does right now surprises me <laughs> so i mean because they had such a bad year you almost want to just start over uh, you know you let pal gasol go you're probably gonna let joakim noah go uh but i i would love i love harrison barnes i, I think i think harrison barnes can be you know it's hard to say because when you play in that kind of system is it the player or is it the system mm-hmm. or is he just a product of playing with steph and having open looks but i really like harrison barnes game uh, one quick topic because the draft is tomorrow, Major League Baseball, Kyle Lewis, Phillies. How, you said earlier you want him to take him. I do. Uh, I do. I think he's special. About, one of the big things that happened today, I don't know if you've seen it, Vince Velasquez went, went down yeah. with bad bicep in, injury. Grabbed possibly. his arm, yeah. Do they go arm again? They, no, because they've they made enough trade. You know, the Hamels trade, the Ken Giles trade. They got They've got seven or eight starters at the major league level and in AAA, that they have enough right now. And I think Velasquez, there's always been some concerns about him health-wise, and they knew about that. They need bats. If you, I don't know, I mean, I'm, y'all watch the Braves and you see how anemic <laughs> the Braves offense is. The Phillies offense is almost as bad as the Braves. And, I mean, they've had Peter Borges playing right field most of the season. He's batting 150. Ryan Howard's batting 150 at first base. So, which that's really I bad. Don't know that, I don't know I that there's know a either. brave batting over one. They've got right one now. legitimate. They've got one legitimate major league outfielder on the team, and that's Herrera playing center field. So now they got some other guys coming up who are probably not ready yet, but they need bats. And I'm t- I, I've joked about this on our radio show. They could draft Kyle Lewis Thursday and put him in right field Friday in Philadelphia, and he would be ready to start. That's how bad their outfield is. So hmm. I don't know that. They'll draft him. I think they will. And I'm hearing, you know, there might be a deal in place before the draft tomorrow night that they go ahead and agree to a contract. I, you know, I know there's a lot of a lot of confidence in his camp that he's going to be the number one pick. And and y'all have watched him play. Mm-hmm. The bat Gosh. speed is is special. Oh yeah. The athleticism is special. It's just it's a flick of his wrist right. and it's gone. And the and look the 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 look ownership the, of the strike zone is special. He led the. He was oh, second in the nation in walks. It's unreal. I mean, he's a power. He does everything. Mm. So I, I, you don't I, see power hitters like that with that kind of patience at the plate. We had we had a guy uh, who actually used to work at the Telegraph, JJ Cooper, who's managing editor of Baseball America. We had him on our show yesterday. He said they're comparing him to Andre Dawson. I mean, I don't know if y'all remember Andre Dawson, but Andre Dawson, when I was growing up, was an athletic freak. And I think that's the way Kyle is. He's a big kid. He's 6'4", and he's a mm-hmm. legitimate 6'4". He's not going to get measured and now all of a sudden be 6'2". No, he's I not. Mean, he's 6'4". We yeah. stood next to him. He's 6'4". He's six, four. Big guy. He can put 20 pounds of muscle on that frame. Yeah. And, and, and what he did at the Cape Cod League last year with a wooden bat, I think eliminates a lot of the questions about he played in the Southern Conference, he played with aluminum bat, all that stuff. I, I think a lot of that Short stuff is – That stuff is hogwash. The kid is special – and I think ten years from now, I'm not saying he's a he's a Hall of Famer or anything like that, but he's a guy who starts for a major league team for ten years in the outfield. And I think whoever gets him is going to be happy with it. Isn't that all you pretty much can ask for at this point? The major league draft, the, is yeah, such exactly. A in the MLB shoot. draft, that's I mean that's really good. We when look, you don't have a guy like 
uh, uh, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. Harper at the top. Strasburg. I mean, well, look at Trout. Trout wasn't a he wasn't a high pick. No. Everybody talks about Chipper. Chipper wasn't the number one pick. So you, uh, you know there were P- so you never know what the number one pick and unless there's a guy like a Bryce Harper at the number one pick yeah. or Steven Strasburg, you just don't know and you have to go get the best player and to me he's the best player. Mookie Betts was a ninth round pick. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you've got that Boston team right now is built around guys that were drafted in the fourth. What, fifth, what sixth round, round was Mike Trout in? I don't even know what Mike what he round Mike Trout he wasn't. Might have been first. I don't think he was a first rounder. So. You know, because he's a, he's a guy from Philadelphia, from the Delaware area. Uh, so you he's him. a first rounder. Was he a first round number twenty five? So twenty five. Yeah. So did you tell me there were twenty four compensation pick? There were twenty four guys in that draft better than Mike Trout. So who would? But now you go back. Oh my God, Mike Trout had to be the number one pick, right? Who was the number well, one? Strasburg. Pick? Strasburg was in that draft. Mike, that's a good draft. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, who was the guy picked in front of Mike Trout? Um, with the. It was a, another Randall Grachuk. Good. Okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. Shelby Miller. Who, who Shelby drafted Miller's him? In there. Who drafted him? It was the Angels. The Angels have back to back. So they at least they. Oh, who drafted b- before the Angels? Jared Mitchell, Chicago White Sox. So the White Sox could have had Mike Trout, and they got some guy named Jared Mitchell. That's yeah. the crapshoot that is. The Jared Mitchell's draft. listening to this and crying inside now. <laughs> He's probably playing double A ball somewhere, <laughs> saying, "I'm a good player." Come on. Who else? Who was the top ten pick in that draft that we'd heard of? Uh, Mike Miner went to the Braves. Mike Miner was a good player. Uh, Mike Leak with the Reds. Good player. Drew Storen with the Nationals. Drew Storen's a good player. Um, Donovan Tate, I only know that because Georgia. He's He played in Georgia, high schooler here. But but Mike Miner's not even – is he even still in the major leagues? I don't think – oh, and Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler. The other one, yeah. Zach Wheeler. But Trout – That's I mean, a pretty good draft. But That's Trout, not a bad draft. But Trout, was, there's 24 guys in that draft better than Trout. Shelby Miller was drafted Shelby ahead Miller's of him. a good player. Uh, AJ Pollock. I mean, so there were huh. there, there's not bad players in this draft. But I'm not Mike Trout that, but it's was twenty fifth. Yeah. he might be the second best. If you say who's the two best players in baseball, most people are going to say Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Mm-hmm. And Bryce Harper was and, number uh, one. And Bryce Harper was number one. Clayton Kershaw. Well, I mean, position. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, or Andrew McCutcheon is up there. True. Yeah. You know, to me, those are the three best outfielders in the major leagues. Well, right, well, Daniel, we, awesome. we really appreciate you coming appreciate on and, no and, and joining us this week. Anytime. Um, yeah, we'll definitely try to bring you back sometime this summer. We'll try to have this as a weekly thing. I know me and Hayes have got a little bit busier schedules not Yeah, no, right I'm going to try to Mercer. make this a weekly thing. Hopefully we can have different personalities and different people come on. And uh, obviously it's awesome to get it started with our man Daniel Shirley here in Nathan. So I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take it easy, folks.